Good morning and welcome to episode six. Six. Yeah, I got yes. uh, I got a lot of texts making fun of me last time because I uh, I didn't know what episode we were on, even though we clearly put together an outline and it said episode five, and I was like episode four. <laughs> Honestly, it was so uncharacteristic of you to make that type of mistake because that's something that I would do. Yeah, but we're we're all human. Psych. Krishma fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I joke about that, but actually this is the second time we've had to record the intro because my computer just spazzed out and we didn't record it. That's life. That's life so, trying to record a podcast remotely. <laughs> either way, I digress. How are you doing, Krishma? Uh, I'm well. Um, I feel like every time you ask me that, I'm like, uh. <laughs> um, no, but I... I the week has been interesting. I actually, um, I've been feeling a little bit better about my burnout uh, since our last episode, mostly because I'm, uh, again, uncharacteristic of myself, but I'm doing things that make me happier now um, and things that are going to like, you know, last, I think, and have a lasting impact on me. Um, anyway, but uh, the, the week at work specifically has been interesting. I think a lot of companies right now are trying to do a lot around diversity and inclusion, or at least a lot of large firms are, the, the ones you know who have the resources. And um, and it honestly can be a hit or miss. Um, and Carissa, you and I were talking right before this, uh, and you know the specifics of, of, of it all, but I, I really think that... Um, you made a good point where you said, you know, things can come from the best intentions and that's great. But especially with diversity and inclusion efforts, um, if it doesn't resonate with your audience, it's smooth. That's what, yeah, that's what actually matters, right? Yeah. Like it, it, it can do more harm. It, if, if, it, if it does nothing and people just leave the session or the whatever being like, all right, got nothing from that, moving on with my life, just spent an hour, you know, waste of an hour. That's kind of the best case scenario if you've done something wrong. Oh my gosh, what yeah. Usually, that is the... Yeah, what usually happens... Oh, no, that's not what usually happens. Yeah, is that like you completely alienate, if not the entire audience, part of the audience, and that's the opposite of what you want to do, right? And I think, I don't know, I personally had an experience like that this week that I'm trying to use to motivate me to like make better changes and, and educate myself more and educate others more. Um, I'm not going to go into details because it is about work, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I guess the feeling that I left with, which is what is important for this podcast, is DNI efforts right now are a hit or miss, and I don't know, I don't know if they're resonating with the right people. Yeah, and I think we should all take a step back and think about that because if they're not resonating with your audience, what's the point? Exactly, and it's funny too because I, I didn't realize how important DNI was. Until I started getting involved in like quote unquote corporate DEI when I went mm -hmm. to my old place of employment. And one of the big reasons that I left, I think, was because I realized that um, it's great and dandy that it's a part of the culture, but if it's genuinely a part of the culture, then put resources into doing it right so that it's not just having a meeting that folks felt obligated to go towards or whether or not we attend DEI events. Like, are we really investing in the people? And is it someone's core responsibility to make sure that that happens? I, I really right. struggled. Like you and I, I actually recruited you to be a co-lead with me for our women in technology group. And at first I was like, you know what? This is fucking baller. I get to help empower people because this is something that I feel marginalized in. Um, but it shouldn't have been on us to figure out what 
like return on investment of certain events were. Like that wasn't what I signed up to do. I, I can serve as a mentor and a leader, but I think I just struggled a lot in that space. And now being at a startup, it's completely, completely different. We don't even have HR. Oh, wow. I don't know that. That's interesting. I think, you know, I, I thrive without HR. <laughs> I think multiple, multiple of our <laughs> listeners actually might be in HR at my current company or old company. So like, sorry, maybe. <laughs> no, no, no. I think everyone can agree. I thrive without HR. Correct. Um, no, I think you make a good point there because the uh, the idea of what I'm getting paid for is not this. It's not to further I, our, our diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. I think that's, in my opinion, I think that's okay as long as the recognition you're getting from it and the career growth you're getting from it and the the work that you can do for others actually translates into either the way you're compensated or your relationships with your managers or things like that. As long as that, yeah, as long as that translates, that doing that extra bit in addition to your job, in my opinion, is fine. But way too often, it just doesn't translate. It's not part of your formal review process. It's not part of, um, you know, like, let's talk about how you've served as a mentor and how, like, our company actually needs that. And that adds value to our company. Um it, we don't have those types of conversations. And, and even if we do, I think something just, something that I, sh- ugh, not struggled with, but something that I, I gained perspective once I became a manager on is, those weren't the right prepositions, whatever, um, is I think I held other people of color and other women to higher standards to do more for DNI, which was completely unfair. Mm-hmm. I thought that because I was doing it, that that was my baseline. And if I stopped, my value would be lower, which is so fucked up because if a white hetero cis male did it, they would get a fucking award Yeah, for being, oh, look at him. They're so progressive. No, they're using their privilege. They should be the ones that are doing more of the advocacy work for us, not necessarily telling us what we need, but helping to further our careers. And many of them do that. Like I was so fortunate to have so many yep, allies. Same. Like this is not me like putting anything on blast, like from my old place. It's just that perspective that I, I learned and I, I learned so much about what corporate DNI looks like and now comparing it to a startup with less than like 40 people is pretty bonkers. But I mean, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's definitely great to be in a culture right now where like my industry shockingly so I went from like fintech now to like logistics and like final mile delivery is primarily male dominated and also very conservative male dominated mm-hmm. um it's different but I remember even talking to like my coworkers and they're like no matter what happens like we have your back if like anything god forbid were to happen like you don't even need to think twice like like if anyone disrespects you that kind of stuff but at the same time I need to be aware that I'm yet again stepping into an entire industry where people are not like me, where I am the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, it's interesting because I think a lot of I think of myself sometimes as a white man, which is a terrible thing. Wait, no, but almost, uh, that's kind of what I was going to say. Like, I almost feel like I have an easier job, quote unquote, assimilating or fitting in to Mm -hmm. male-dominated industries because of my background so i am a south asian female i'm not a white male <laughs> but Hot twist. <laughs> um but i think that because i was educated in the united states i was born in the united states i don't have an accent i can 
unfortunately very easily hide my culture in corporate environments. Um, those types of things, quite honestly, have set me up for success, and I'm not proud of it at all. Yeah. Um, and shout out to white supremacy. Yeah, seriously. And now I'm a lot more open about my culture and like my background. Like we talked about this in a previous episode. My Instagram is public partially because I want to share my art, but also partially because like fuck it someone looks me up from work and they're like oh god like she is a lot more brown and a lot more artist than we thought she was great that's what you get right but i've gotten to that point that that moment happened only after i got some formal credibility at work it only happened after i became a manager and i felt comfortable enough in my own career in my own skin to be like okay now i can start opening up um and so if that if i have that feeling as someone who honestly is part of the, the model minority, right? Who uh, America treats relatively well. I sometimes wonder what, you know, people of color who are not like me, who, you know, like black women, for example, Latinx women, for example, um, what some of those experiences might be like, you know? I feel like 100%. I have a very small and version of that. 100%, I always feel like, and, and we can tie this back to this idea. And, and I've, I've spoken a lot to someone about this, um, like using my privilege to help further those who don't have that to start. Like you mentioned something regarding accents in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also not a white man, <laughs> despite everything I say and my behavior. I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, but I'm a Korean American. Um, but I do not have an accent. I'm also adopted, so I'm very ingrained in... Uh, like white Anglo-Saxon like life Mm -hmm. but I remember even being an undergrad and all of the students and like all the folks we were in like upper level master's classes we all of the women were of were of East Asian descent and all of them had accents and I remember people would seek me out because I fit that woman checkbox of one of the four of us in the goddamn department and I was a better TA not because I actually have a background in teaching and like was a substitute teacher and like actually built that part of my life up, but because I didn't have an accent. Mm. And so I was more approachable to the majority of the undergrads. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, what is hap- what is happening? But that stereotype too, like I'm on calls now and I'm brought in as like the technical person or like the data scientist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think they're all surprised when I can speak eloquently Mm -hmm. and I don't have an accent. Mm -hmm. And my response is, what? (laughs) Yeah. You ever forget? You ever forget that like people tend to stereotype you in that way and then you're like, oh yeah, (laughs) I'm Asian. (laughs) No, all the time. All the time. Especially my name is Carissa Zukowski. I'm adopted. And I've been struggling a lot with this idea of like, I don't see color, especially when it comes to me because I grew up without having that exposure to heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm finding it more now in pockets that I'm comfortable with. And we've talked about this. I've cried over this. Sober and drunk cried over this, mm-hmm. which is how you know it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I sometimes would forget. And I really didn't understand it until I left my like nuclear family or people I grew up with because I had all these prejudices against me. People literally said, you're good at math because you're Asian what first of all i'm not good at math i'm fucking great at math you are really good at math (laughs) no yeah it's interesting right it's like i well question even people who knew you were adopted said that or was it like an assumption because like you look nope 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 
no, these are people that knew me. They thought that genetically I just, I won the goddamn lottery because of my Asian-ness. Yeah. I don't know what genes are. I don't know how science works. It's just funny, though, like, how people can just be so... People don't realize it. Like, they don't even realize they're, like, applying stereotypes in their subconscious mind every single day. Exactly. And it's that level of, like, microaggression that I learned to get over. Like, I remember, I honestly remember growing up and my parents being like, get over it. The one thing I didn't get over was when someone called me something, and you know, and I may or may not have punched them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of experiences. I feel very lucky and privileged to have grown up in a in suburban New Jersey, but in a town where there is a lot of diversity, specifically a lot of Asian diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my family and I have conversations around this a lot because I grew up in a town where there's a lot of uh, South Asian, so like Indian people, Pakistani people, and so on, um, as well as like East Asian cultures yeah um however there's so much of those cultures that some people argue that's not diversity right because there's too much of it and you actually uh start seeing those cultures as the norm and then you go into the workplace and you're like wait a second everyone's white (laughs) (laughs) you know and i i agree that i agree with that i see that point of view that being said of course it wasn't like 70 percent of my school was asian like we had a, a larger asian population than most schools in the united states but we still had a majority white people. Um, that being said, my point here is that, like, sometimes people who don't grow up in those types of atmospheres, I know I have family members, they go through things in their childhood that, you know, they try to get over. And even, like, in the front of their minds are kind of like, yeah, that happened so long ago, I'm over it. But really direct the way that they lead their lives. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um I have a cousin who was, like, shoved into a locker one time and, like, someone broke his glasses. Um, Of course, he was in middle school and now he's, like, in his, like, mid to late 20s and he's like, oh, it's happened so long ago and he laughs it off. But, you know, he leads his life with with those types of memories in mind. And I think it's important – and you and I are Asian, so we come from that background of, like, that's what we're talking about. But we have to recognize that different cultures see it in different ways, Mm -hmm. right? Someone with a hard-to-pronounce name may not get that internship or job. Yep. Um, someone who went to an all-black college, sometimes that can be seen as an advantage. Sometimes it's, oh my God, we're not recruiting from there at all. Yeah. Right? So people who go to, like, historically black universities, uh, like, I know people who have, like, really had to think about even going to that university, even though it offered them a scholarship, a great education, internship programs, because they're, like... It just plainly puts on my resume, even if they ha- hide my name, that I am black. Correct. So yeah. it's it's one of those things that there's so many little things throughout our system, throughout our childhoods, etc., that really lead us to this place of, in our adulthood, leading our lives differently than mm-hmm. those around us. And I think it also goes back into and like tying it almost full circle to when you said, it's not the intention, but it's like the like the way in which someone receives it right or responds to it because how many times have we seen now on like social media in particular with this idea that I'm not a racist versus being Mm -hmm. anti-racist right because I remember to someone being like they could never have said that they're so nice just because they're nice doesn't mean that they're not hurting me I get that that's not everyone's experience I remember walking in to my seventh grade English class and the teacher literally going through roll call and said 
when I said here after they called my name. She's like, you're not what I expected. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Were you expecting a white girl? Oh, my God. But I just remember being like, God damn it. Everyone's an idiot. And that's me in seventh grade. Yeah. And I think you make a good point. Just because someone is nice to you and you have a phenomenal relationship with them doesn't mean that they're terrible to someone else. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of like, I'm a good person, so I don't do any harm or they're a good person. There's no way they could have said something like that. That's just not reality, right? Like you and I might be good people, but I'm sure we've hurt people in the past. (laughs) I am not a good person. So I know I have hurt people in the past. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like we like it's first of all, there are learning experiences and people hopefully grow. Did you just spill your I don't want to talk about it. I feel you're like making, every episode you're making such something a great happens. <laughs> I know. Okay, I'm back to it. Anyway. That's how I do Anyway. People are on this learning experience, hopefully, where over time, you know, they get better. And I I know we wanted to talk about cancel culture a little bit, so I want to get back to that. But it's also like even if someone is at this place where they are woke and they have read all the books and they've been through all the workshops and whatever, right? They, that doesn't mean that person can't do harm, and that's fine. That's humanity. That's what being a person is. As long as you recognize that, you know, as a person, I'll use myself as an example, if I do harm to person A, person A is always going to see – let person A be Carissa. <laughs> if I do harm to Carissa, Carissa rightfully so is going to see me as someone who has done harm to her, right, because that's what I've done. And that's just the reality of life. And, like – Versus if I'm a phenomenal person and I never hurt or harm like someone else, like Shivani, my best friend, right? Like she's going to see me as a phenomenal person. And it's okay to have different views of a person because people are dynamic. I think the end goal is just to make sure that the the individual interactions that we have over time, and this is again my opinion, but over time grow into interactions that are much more um, diverse, that are much more inclusive, that are much more aware of other people's like cultures and backgrounds. And those individual con- conversations contribute to sort of systemic changes in systems mm-hmm. that currently do not serve everyone equally. I, I think that's the end goal. Um, and we lose track of that so often with like social media and cancel culture and all of that. Yeah. And we'll definitely go back to cancel culture. But before we do, I do want to comment like this idea of having to be liked by everybody, and this is something that we could just mm. fucking talk about forever, and we probably will do a full episode on this. Um, I find that fundamentally boring. I also think that part of my brand is that most people actually don't like me. <laughs> I, I'm not palatable for everybody. I'm not everyone's cup of tea, um, which is great. But also, I cannot be liked, but I can also not be an asshole. Like, those are, those are mutually exclusive. Like, I can do my best to be aware of, like, people's feelings. Actually, sometimes, okay, this is a terrible example, but sometimes I know that I'm hurting somebody and I do that anyway. Because but, you like to be petty? No, I don't like to be petty. I am petty. I, <laughs> it's part of me. No, I think there's, this, like, this weird conflict, and I'm actually trying to get through it where I know my personal, like, brand personality goddamn existence is that i'm kind of rough around the edges sometimes i mean i mean i mean sometimes i mean where are we going with this i don't know we're gonna i might just edit this out no i think what it is is the idea of like being liked by everybody 
because I know that I used to edit and I would I do edit around things around like race do you know what I mean because I try to be very appeasing to everyone and then I get so nervous about making the wrong mistake because then I think that if I do say something wrong people are going to hate me because like I kind of got through that that fear of my personality once I left high school right but then when it comes to things like talking about race and talking about like like Black Lives Matter at work and talking about that level of collision I really struggle and mm-hmm. I think that's where I've now seen this idea of cancel culture hurt people where I got over this idea of being canceled as an individual, but I don't think I've been, I, I've, I'm fearless of being canceled as an activist, an activist. Exactly. Right. And for those of you who don't know, cancel culture by dictionary.com guys were stepping up from like .org blogs or urban dictionary from my previous blogs um cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support like canceling public figures companies after they've done or said something considered objectionable or offensive it's one that means that i get to consider myself a public figure fuck yeah but two it's something that has definitely been heightened around social media i know it got a lot of attention as i explained to you this morning karishma on the phone between James Charles and Tatiana somebody about makeup and this whole idea of cancel culture on YouTube. And now we see how many times have we seen on people's stories, like let's cancel, insert somebody here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, so Jamila Jamil, I know I was supposed to send you this video and I never did, but Jamila Jamil um, put a video on her Instagram grid the other day, um, which maybe we'll like reshare on our story or something because I really enjoyed it. Um, It was an interview with Trevor Noah, and basically she talks about how, you know, 10 years ago, she was that person saying things that weren't considerate of other people's backgrounds and cultures. She was that person making comments about weight and so on, right? Mm -hmm. And But she's learned about it, and she, since then, her learning experience, and she's been so, like, deliberate about learning about it, that now, over time, she has become such a public figure, such an activist, someone who has caused like large media and social media firms to change their practices around how they put up ads. Mm -hmm. And she has had real, like just such real impact in how media is treating conversations and depictions around specifically weight, but also race and gender Mm -hmm. to an extent, right? And she makes this comment where she was like, you know, if I was canceled 10 years ago because of some shitty comments that I made I never would have made it here making that impactful change and her opinion at the end of it all is if someone doesn't cause harm that you just can't come back from if it's harm that you know is teachable if it's harm that they can learn from and you can put in the effort to really invest in them and have them grow from it don't cancel them Mm -hmm. because you don't know what that person especially if it's a public figure especially if it's someone who has money especially if it's someone who has fame that person can make real change if we just invest in them. Now, if it's harm that is, like, you just can't come back from it, right? Like, if it's just, like, okay, that was the end. Like, there is no way we can come back from that. That's a little bit of a difference. Well, how do you judge that, right? Like, who's the – and that's what I want to ask is, like, who is the person's – like, who are we judging who can come back and who can't? Because that's going to be different across the board. Mm. So whose experience is more valuable in that space? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know. I don't have a perfect answer for that. I do think, though, like – There's a big difference between someone making a comment about, like, like if someone makes a comment about, like, that model shouldn't have been on the front page of whatever um, because they don't fit, like, 
the the model of beauty, mm-hmm. right? And if someone tweets that out, in my opinion, that is not someone that we should cancel. That is someone who we need to invest in and someone we need to educate and the public really needs to get around. And that's the power of social media, in my opinion. However, if someone makes a, like is actively making decisions to not hire plus size models, and if that person who made that tweet was like the CEO of an agency, right? That's a little bit of a different story because you're actively taking opportunity away from people. So I don't know. I think it's a fine line. I think people will have different opinions on it and I don't have the perfect answer, but I do think that cancel culture is not super productive, especially when we're talking about like sort of these like micro celebrities who are like sort of social media famous. Yeah. I guess like, because you, when you, list out like those qualifications it's like it, it sounds to be like people that are in power and are decision makers yeah. and i guess there's a difference i think between cancel culture and asking for like systematic change in an organization um mm. so for people that don't know i'm obsessed with like bon appetit's youtube but so adam rapaport their previous editor-in-chief was like stepped down but basically was like fired or mutually stepped down mutually separated uh from bon appetit after a photo from Twitter was resurfaced of him and his wife in brown face, he was dressed up, I think, as Danny Yankee for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone called for him to sit down. And then it also surfaced were like stories where he did not amplify like voices of color or his magazine mm-hmm. focused too much on like white food and like. Yeah, I also read an article where he like there were paid for video appearances correct with and like, the yeah the people so, of color didn't get paid yeah and, and i think again it's not like the reason that i'm not i'm okay with the way that this was handled because to me this isn't cancel culture that's holding someone responsible and saying you're not doing your job and people are expecting better agreed because what they're not saying is like we're never go- like no one watched bon appetit youtube right because right. like sola who is one of the folks who she's one of the creative content creators there who is not compensated for her work on the youtube videos and she is a fucking gem i love her um but she also like really brought this up and i think this idea of like it's not cancel culture it's holding people accountable that we need to be doing but i find cancel culture in particular to be dangerous because Mm -hmm. one i find it to be like a form of bullying um and like shaming and you Mm -hmm. can call for change without putting without making it so personal of an attack i think and maybe that's just that might be wrong and people are probably going to disagree with that and that's totally fine but to me it just sets this like toxic culture and it doesn't allow for like a discussion about what's going on because when we think about it a lot of these large industries and like opportunities for change that we need to make this like systematic impact or systemic impact whether or not we like it we have to meet people halfway to where they're at and coming at it with a like fully heated clips or culture 100 percent is not going to get as much yeah i agree completely i think if you know there is a concept of like consumer responsibility that's probably the wrong term well it's but like, like boycotting you can choose not to give your yeah, business up that's totally exactly fun. Exactly. So, like, I think it what Bon Appetit did was actually very – they responded very well, in my opinion. Um, Adam stepped down. He – they issued a public apology. They issued, like, very public statements of what they're doing going forward. Now, it is, you know, the job of the 
unfortunately, the job of the employees who work there and the job of the public to hold them accountable to those things. Um, and the job of the CEO and like everyone, like the, the executive board of, of Bon Appetit. And I really do hope that they are held accountable to those types of things. However, let's say Adam had not stepped down, right? And they had just issued an apology and they moved on with their lives. That, I think, would be a different story. And that is where the power of the consumer comes into play, where, in my opinion, what I would have done, um, and this is a very personal decision, but what I would have done was I would boycott Bon Appetit, right? I would not follow their social. I would, you know, not subscribe to their magazine and so on because I don't believe that you can have, like, awesome recipes meant for everyone when internally the people working for you um, do not feel supported and represented but then how do you support the folks that are the content creators right because then they don't have a job right like they're like that's the fine line that i have yeah do you know what i'm saying and and it's one thing if like the people that i loved left but if they're staying beside it to change it like how do you support and i think like you said like we should invest in people i honestly don't know how i feel about investing in people's growth because Something that I've struggled with, as I've complained to you multiple times, is the more that I'm vocal about some of the things I care about, the more I feel responsible for other people, and then the more that they disappoint me. And Mm -hmm. then I find that that's just, like, emotionally exhausting. And so I can't imagine what, like, legitimate activists feel. Like, I, I... when I say legitimate, I mean people that have dedicated their entire lives. I have the privilege to turn it off in some capacity when I am not engaging do you know what I mean like it's again something that I like to keep resurfacing and in particular you and I have had so many so many of our conversations I think even before COVID before our podcast have revolved around these types of things yeah um and so just to let anyone who doesn't know how to talk about this feel okay like eh, no one knows yeah I actually I really like this episode that we just recorded. <laughs> All right, we're still recording it, mind you. Like this is, we're still live. I because no, but like Jesus, I, it's because I think no, don't edit it out. I um the power. The reason I say that is because I think it, this episode made very clear that like you and I don't always have the same opinions, and we have different ways of approaching things. And in a lot of cases, we may not be correct, and we we're still learning, and so on. And I know we say that a lot, and we're like. We're still learning. Please call us out, blah, blah, blah. But I think this episode really pointed out like, hey, this is legit. Like we disagree in our day-to-day conversations. We might handle things differently. Um, We have good intentions. But again, those intentions may not matter if they're not having the right impact. So we have to be really, really explicit and deliberate about the impact that we're having um, and really work through those things to make sure that the impact that we are having is a positive one. I agree. Um, Krishma and I have so many things in common, but I think we... We're very different. Right now, Krishma, for instance, looks like an adult. I don't. <laughs> Ever. What? I'm in sweatpants. I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> you FaceTimed me and my response was, one moment, I need to take my pants off. I'm wearing high-waisted jeans and I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I took them off, though, because I spilled coffee on my legs. <laughs> Happy Saturday. Am I doing the sign-off? Happy Saturday. I didn't do it well last time. Um, okay, so I guess I'll do the sign-off. Happy Saturday, but you'll be you'll be listening to this on a Wednesday, actually, or later, so not happy Saturday for you. Um, by the time you listen to this episode, we will have hopefully had our 
um, discussion on So You Want to Talk About Race that we've been talking about for the last couple of episodes. So we will let you know how it goes on our Instagram grid. Um, And yeah, just engage with us in conversation. Clearly, we love having these types of conversations because we want to grow and we want to make sure our impact is legitimate and positive. Um, So please engage with us. And thanks for listening. Bye. You crushed it.